can I give a, a, a one surefire way to get removed from Spotify? That, sure. I don't think anybody's asking for that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you post like Ariana Grande unreleased songs, yeah, that's definitely going to get removed. That is like the go-to for some reason. Somebody keeps doing that and like keeps getting deleted. Yeah. Well, if you did Ariana Grande may have coronavirus and or COVID-19. She talked about it in her unreleased down. song. That's right. getting removed. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Buzzcast. This is quarantine edition number two. Quarantine episode number two. Uh, Kevin, Albin, and myself jumping in to just chat about all things podcasting. Hey guys. How's it going, Travis? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How you guys uh how you guys holding up? Really good. Really good. Spent the last uh well, spent some time over the weekend soundproofing my home studio. So last week's episode, we weren't real happy. I wasn't real happy, and you guys confirmed that my feelings were correct in the way that the audio <laughs> was coming through. So I got some foam panels, did an install in the office, and I think things sound a little better. Less reverb this week. Yes, reverb is the enemy. So absolutely, and and you didn't you didn't break the bank to do that, did you? No, I didn't. I so I wrote a blog post about it. I took some pictures because I had some pretty specific goals in mind. Uh, one, of course, was I, I don't know how long we're going to want to keep this up. And so I didn't want to spend a ton of money doing it. And the other was, um, I wanted it to be removable because this isn't always used as my home office slash podcast recording studio. It's, it's just a room in our house and we've got some other stuff in here and we use it for different things when I'm not working from here. And so I didn't want the walls to be completely trashed when I took all this stuff down. And the, the typical, uh, recommendation for installing foam panels is like spray foam. You just spray the glue on the back mm -hmm. of the foam and you stick them to your walls, which is great. It makes installation super easy and it's effective. But when you pull it off, then all that stay foam adhesive is still stuck on your wall. And yeah. I wasn't sure what the process is of getting all that off is. It probably involves sanding or something very destructive. So how did you get around that? So I found some um, foam core panels on Amazon that were relatively inexpensive and I went ahead and glued the foam panels. They're one foot square and the foam panels were two by three. So I could fit six panels per foam core board. And so I glued them to the board and then I took those 3M command strips, those non-destructive command strips, and then you can glue the foam core board to your wall with those. And so that sticks really well. When you try to use the command strip straight on the foam, they stick for like a day and then they fall off. And so we learned that lesson when we were doing the Buzzcast Buzzsprout Studio. Yeah. And so uh, I knew I had to use glue on the foam itself. So I had to glue that to something else and then use the command strips to go to the wall. And at the end of the day, it was it was fun. Didn't take too long. Didn't cost too much. And everyone's happy because um, it's not the most beautiful thing in the world. But when we're done with the lockdown orders, it's easily removable. Yeah, I was going to say, whoever buys the uh, Buzzsprout building at some point in the future is just going to have to totally redo the, all the walls in that one in the studio. Cause it is just covered in spray foam. Yeah. Um, behind all, I, I think you have to, the solution to that is that I think you commit to texture, like there's smooth walls and there's textured walls and all the office walls are smooth, except for the studio. When you pull the foam off, they're going to be textured. So I think you just have to run with Blue that texture, right? <laughs> just spray foam the rest of the, that office. It's an artistic pattern. You know, so anyway, it was, it was a fun project. I think it sounds better. I did take pictures and I wrote up, you know, put some words around it with links to all the stuff I bought and that's going to be live on the blog, hopefully at the same time that this episode airs. So if you're interested 
if you're recording from a different place than you normally are and you need to do some soundproofing, we've got a couple blog posts. That's just the most recent on the topic. Hopefully it helps some people. Yeah. Travis, is there a way that you could like pull in a 10 second clip of Kevin from last week to show a little bit of a difference? Yes, I can absolutely do that right now. Yeah. So one of the things that we did in response, we set it up a couple of weeks ago, was we started um, offering free Buzzsprout Pro hosting accounts to anybody who has a need for podcasting in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that was Kevin from last week. That's the beauty of editing. Right oh, you there. can definitely hear the difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say that as uh, the person who cannot hear anything because you're hopefully editing this in the future. I'll tell you a yeah. quick tip. Uh, another little thing that I wanted to work out in my home recording setup <clears throat> was we grabbed our mics and we grabbed audio interfaces and XLR cables, but the XLR cables that we use in the office are a little bit longer. And I noticed as you crank up the level on the, on the microphone, they'd get a little noisy. And so I got a higher quality, shorter XLR cable. So it's just a six foot, um, pig hog cable. It was $10 from Amazon and I'm using that. And now the microphone, there's like no static, no noise in it at all, no matter what level I crank it up to. So another little tip, if you want to invest $10 in your podcasting setup, high quality XLR cables do seem to be worth the money. And that's the reason that used to be a big deal like 20 years ago for music because everything then was analog and analog cables really matter. But digital cables for almost everything else we use now, the quality is not really degrade, right? So it stays up unless it's terrible. Right. It's a broken cable. Yeah. Like if you're using an HDMI cable or a lightning cable or something to charge your iPhone or something, those are all, even a USB cable for a USB microphone, a cheap one and a good one, there's not going to be hardly any difference because a digital signal, like Alvin said, unless it's dropping little packets of data, it's getting the signal or it's not. But with an analog cable, which is what an XLR cable is, then you can get a lot of interference. And I think the biggest difference is the quality of the connectors, like whether the highest end ones are like gold plated and the cheaper ones are, I don't know, some less conductive metal. And then the shielding, which is how much insulation the cable has around it. So if it's crossing other cables, like the power going into your audio interface or something, it can pick up some noise in the line. So you don't want to run a cable any longer than it needs to be. So get one that's the proper length. And then the more money you spend, you'll get a higher quality like metal on the connectors and you'll get better shielding. Yeah, that is a really big one that we've run into because though we love it in so many other ways, the roadcaster actually has like a really, really thin shielding on the power cable. And so we noticed with a few different mics, we kept getting this like pretty heavy hum. And we realized it was always the mic. If there was ever a cross between the, that power cable and the XLR cable that it was actually picking that up. So, um, avoid, you know, running any, if you aren't able to buy new cables right now, maybe it's harder to get stuff shipped right now. Just try to separate anything that's running a current, any power cable, away from your audio cables. Yep. Those are some power tips right there, guys. <laughs> I, know <our laughs> well, I, read a bunch of, I read a bunch of our reviews on uh, Podchaser. They all said, like, I learned something every week. So now I'm, like, trying to be thoughtful about, like, what, what tip can I drop in here? <laughs> Albin's Gold Nugget. We just added a, a new th- segment to the show. Last episode we did two weeks ago, we talked about the impact that we were seeing kind of in podcast listener numbers and how the fact that everyone's staying at home and changing their routines is affecting that. And Kevin, I know that you uh, found some data, not only for us, but also through our favorite app, uh, listening app, Overcast, 
and kind of looking at the trends and how things have been affected the last few months. Right. So I will start with the Buzzsprout network of podcasts. <clears throat> so there's a couple different ways we can slice this data. The easiest way to slice this data is just to look at Spotify. Spotify has, we have access to stats of every Buzzsprout podcast that is streamed through the Spotify service. And if we log into the dashboard, then we can see how many, um, Starts is a better, they give a start 10 streams, but starts is a better metric for us. Cause that means somebody's listened to at least a minute of that episode. And so just to recap, it is, you mean the opposite, you mean starts as they just click play and streams means they listen. Oh, to did minute? I say it backwards? Yes. Streams is a minute and starts. It could be less than a minute, right? It's like one second. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll look at streams and, uh, it does seem that the, the numbers are down a little bit, but there is some good news at the end of this story, at least on what we're seeing in Spotify across the Buzzsprout network. So if we start in January, the beginning of January, there's a slow and steady increase up until the peak, which was February 5th. So for all Buzzsprout shows across our entire platform, we started in January around 350,000 streams per day is what we were seeing on Spotify. And that was a slow, steady, gradual rise all the way up to 620,000 streams per day on February 5th. And then it was a slow and steady decline down to the bottom where it bottomed out was March 15th. And that was about a little bit over 200. It was about 230,000 streams per day. So we dropped from 620 to 230. So that was Holy significant, cow. a significant drop over uh, from the beginning of February to the beginning of March, actually more like the middle of March. Is there any reason why we would think that Spotify is different? I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, I mean, that's like over like a 40% drop or 60% drop. So what are we, uh, I mean, we're not seeing that across everything or is it maybe that all the other data is a little bit off? So my theory on that is that since Spotify is more like newer to the podcasting space, I feel like your Spotify listeners might be more casual listeners. This is what uh, Travis talked about last week about identifying your kind of um, diehard fans versus your casual listeners. And um, there's a theory here, like the data doesn't necessarily support this because we'd have to compare it to the rest of the traffic that we see on the Buzzsprout network. Um, But the theory, my theory is that Spotify represents more casual listeners. So as people were habits were changing, like commuting and and workout schedules and stuff, as that stuff was changing, your casual listeners weren't tuning in as much. Now, this is not necessarily true of the whole space because we'll talk about overcast numbers in a second. And my theory and how this theory was developed is I think people like who use overcast, a third party app, those are more hard core diehard fans of podcasts, right? Somebody's taken that next step to download a dedicated app outside of the default one that comes on their phone to listen to podcasts. And if we look over at the numbers that Overcast published, he's only seeing, let me see if I can pull up that tweet. Podcast listening is down, but not as much as you'd think. Here's my daily and weekly app sessions. Weekends are always about 30% lower than weekdays, but the quarantine has reduced weekdays by 20%. He attributes those to commuters. And then he says, but weekly weekends are unchanged. Total usage is only down about 15%. And I think that that's kind of what I've been hearing and reading from other people who are putting out different numbers. Um, some of these services are less reliable than others. So like um, PodTrack and, and Chartable and stuff, those are prefix services. 
And so their numbers are always a little bit sketchy. I don't really trust those numbers as much as I trust numbers from a hosting company or an app. And so when I look at Spotify, which is an app, I look at Overcast, which is an app, and then I know our data from on the hosting side, I feel like that's a much more accurate picture. The total usage being down about 15%. I think that is all the research that I could do over the past couple of weeks thinking about this subject. That's kind of where I land as well. 15 to maybe on the high side, 20, but probably closer to 15%. Even though on Spotify, it looks more significant. Again, I think those are casual listeners. I think those numbers will bounce back. And so to circle back to that, I did say there was some good news at the end. And it is true. Let me flip back to those numbers. So now we are back on April, as of April 7th, our streams were back up down. Remember, they were all the way down to 230,000 streams per day. They're already back to 375,000 streams per day. So we're not back up to our peak, but we are back to where we were towards the end of January. So, I mean, I think then Travis's theory kind of, you know, is being borne out a little bit more that as all we're all kind of figuring out our new routines, you know, maybe we used to listen to podcasts when we were driving. And then after a little while, people started looking at their phones like I did and went, holy cow, there's like 20 good episodes in here. Um, I guess I need to start thinking about when I'm going to listen to these things. And uh, maybe just people are doing more dishes and listening to podcasts than they used to. Right. It looks like new habits are being formed and listenership is bouncing back. So I think it's accurate to say it was down. Absolutely. Um, for quite a while, all the way for like for the last month or so, all the way through March. But April is looking really good on the listener side. So we'll keep watching these numbers. We'll give you an update in a couple of weeks and let you know. But hopefully you're seeing your numbers bounce back as people develop new patterns. And those casual listeners are listeners are figuring out a way to work podcasts back into their daily routines. Yeah. And if your numbers look different than the kind of overall trends that we just talked about, um, I've also noted just talking to different people and seeing different uh, different people's kind of responses and sharing their numbers that it is impacting different categories differently. Like, so certain categories are like really blowing up, like the kids and family podcast category, because all these parents are like, what do I give my kid to do during the day that's not stare at an iPad? Well, here's a pod, like a e-learning podcast for kids. So those are doing really well. If you have a sports commentary podcast, unless you've shifted to marble racing in the sand or covering the NASCAR virtual races, you know, you might have seen a more steep decline in your listenership since there's just no sporting events. So it really does depend on your category as well. So don't get like disheartened if your numbers are better or worse than the overall trend. Um, but take some encouragement that we are seeing just overall everything seeming to bounce back a bit. Now, in the most recent edition of You Can't Trust Everything You Read on the Internet, there was a rumor uh, of... I like all these new segment names, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to plus up our quality here. Um, there was a rumor not too long ago going around that Spotify was actively seeking out and auto-removing podcasts that even whiffed a mention of coronavirus in their episode title or show notes. Uh, but Kevin, I know that you can kind of speak into... socially distanced from Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't you kind of speak into what's really going on? And, and Well, I mean, it's unfortunate when stuff like this happens. So there's a, a pretty popular uh, podcast community on Facebook. And one of the active members of that group posted something like this. It said, heads up, Spotify is taking no prisoners on shows to have anything suspicious in the titles or show notes surrounding COVID-19. 
There are a lot of takedowns. You risk having your show being removed permanently from Spotify, yada, 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 yada. The, the post got a lot of engagement. Can we put some um, ominous music behind that? <laughs> the way you read it, I was like getting terrified myself. I mean, that's, yeah. that sounds pretty concerning, right? If that, if that turned out to be true. Yeah. And I mean, if it was true, then it would warrant, you know, making a statement like that and letting people know and, and wording it strongly. Uh, unfortunately, it's not true. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> um, <laughs> fortunately for podcasters, it's not true. Unfortunately, this has to fall into the fake news category. Oh my gosh. Um, so many new segments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is not happening. I mean, Spotify they do this all the time. They send takedown requests. The requests don't not even request. They're just takedown notices. They don't have a lot of detail in them. Most often we see them around podcasts that contain music. So there are a lot of podcasters who will do their own mixes of music or they are um, music creators themselves, like electronic dance music and stuff. And they will create podcasts to release their stuff. And they will push that podcast into Spotify. And, and even though there are no copyright issues or violations because it's all original content, Spotify does not want music in their podcasting side of their app. They want that released through their music side. And so there's a totally different process to get your music pushed into the Spotify music section than there is the podcast section. And so that happens all the time. We get multiple of those a week that says this is a music. It doesn't even, again, doesn't tell you why. It just says it's been removed from Spotify podcasts. You can't do anything about it. You can't appeal it or whatever. Normally those are music podcasts and there's a different way to get into Spotify with your music podcast and you have to follow that process. Um, so this person had seen one or two notices, takedown requests and had maybe, again, now I'm, now I'm guessing, but jumped to the conclusion that, hey, but these episodes have something to do with COVID-19. They must be doing this. I'm putting out this big warning. Um, turns out here we are a week later and that same person has now said, well, we've see, we've received less than 10 of those across two huge networks. And so it's kind of like, well, why did you make such a big deal about it? It was a very alarming thing. Like you can't run into a movie theater and yell fire. You shouldn't yell run into a podcasting form online and yell, you can't have COVID-19 in your episode title. Like you shouldn't do that. It's, it's alarming and it's, it's bad information, but neither here nor there. Here's the real truth. You can, you can have episodes around COVID-19. You can get, put out good information. Now you should not, of course we should all be responsible with that. So if, if the information that you're putting out, like we all know, common sense is just not good information or it's based on something that you saw somebody else say, like, again, if you're going to talk about COVID-19, if you're going to talk about stay at home and best practices, do it responsibly and you shouldn't have any problems. If you are spreading false information, of course you risk the, the, the possibility that somebody's not going to want to list you in their directory. Um, but again, we all know this, nothing yeah. to be alarmed about. So probably it was just a couple of those takedown notices came in within a couple of minutes of each other. And he probably saw him and goes, oh, yep, they're taking all the coronavirus out, post, move on. And then was like, oh, turns out maybe that's not accurate. Right. Crisis yeah. averted. We, yeah. But we if, know, anyway, we, if you were being stressed out about it, uh, yeah. don't worry about it. But maybe don't post all about coronavirus all the time because I don't know about everybody else, but when I'm going to podcast right now, I'm kind of looking for a little bit of a break from this 24-7, all day, every day, living inside the same carpeted jail cell that is my house, listening to coronavirus. And then I'm like, oh, cool. My favorite podcast. They're like, what are we going to do about the end of the world? I'm like, come on, please, somebody give me <laughs> yeah. something different. <clears throat> so actually, I I might be a new proponent of this uh, 
of this conspiracy theory. Maybe I'm going to push it just to get people to stop <laughs> talking only about coronavirus all the time. No, we're not going to push it. The truth is we we have looked in the in the Buzzsprout database and we've seen there we have thousands and thousands of episode titles that contain uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 and, and all the words around that. We have not seen any correlation between the takedown notices that we've gotten from Spotify and those episodes that say are talking about coronavirus or COVID-19. So while Albin wouldn't appreciate it, it is it does <laughs> seem perfectly safe to have an episode that does talk about coronavirus or COVID-19. So recently, a pretty popular podcast software company, PodTrack, released a new product in their offering. Uh, now, that might be significant to you if you happen to use their prefix, which essentially PodTrack is a third-party software that can track your podcast play data, give you some statistics and some analytics. And so it's pretty popular for podcasters to add this prefix just as another way to get information about how their podcast is being consumed. Uh, but Kevin, why don't you dive into kind of this newest venture that they're pushing into um, and then maybe why it would be potentially a cause of concern for certain podcasters. Sure. So the the new product that they're offering is a, it's like a, a report. It's a data product that you can buy. They're selling it for $3,600 a year. It's a subscription. And you get a report that has uh, all of the Apple podcast categories. I think there's uh, 19, 19 topic categories that they specify, and they're going to show you the top 30 podcasts in all of those categories. Um, they go a little bit further. They don't just show you the ranking. They also show you the U.S. unique monthly audience, the monthly global downloads, uh, month over month audience change and year over year audience change for all the podcasts that they track. Um, so, and this is a little bit different than the, the, the pod track model that we've always been under the assumption of how they operated. So the, when you, when you go to pod tracks, website, it seems like the the value proposition that they're putting out there is, hey, if you put this prefix in front of your your media URLs, and you can do that by shooting a an email to the support team at Buzzsprout or whoever you host with, and you can add the prefix into your podcast episodes, then um, we'll watch your episodes and your podcast. We'll see uh, how many downloads you're getting. And, and once you cross a certain threshold, you might be a good fit for some of our advertisers who we have relationships with. If we can establish a relationship and they want to advertise on your podcast, then we'll get a cut of that money, right? So they're facilitating relationships with advertisers. That's the main value prop they put out. Um, what's new now is now they're saying, hey, above and beyond that, what we're going to do is we're going to take some the data from the 30 most popular shows in each category, and we're going to sell that as well. So that might have always been there. I don't know. It might have always been in their terms of service. I imagine it was, but nobody noticed it or, or connected the dots in this way that they could also do this. They could also just sell the raw data without connecting a podcaster to an advertiser. Um, but it, it, it's feels, it's definitely different. It feels different. And, um, there's no like a uh, shared benefit anymore. So before with PodTrack, if they connected with an advertiser, I would get a cut of that money and PodTrack would get a cut of that money. Um, now on the data side, they're just selling these reports and they're not compensating the podcasters in any way. So anyway, there's a discussion to be had here and an awareness that we should have as podcasters, especially if we use PodTrack or we're thinking about using PodTrack. Um, you need to understand that uh, you're, you're giving a third party access to the download data for your podcast. And not only are you giving it to them, but you're giving it to them and anybody willing to pay them $3,600.
Yeah, it feels a little weird to me. I mean, the the whole point of signing up for PodTrack is that somebody else is measuring how well your podcast is doing. Like the whole goal is to have a third party verify how many plays you have so that an advertiser can rely on somebody else, not you, to say, hey, your show's successful enough. And then them providing the matchmaking services, obviously very valuable. Lots of people who do want to find an advertiser don't really know. They don't want to broker that, so they use PodTrack. That all makes sense to me. There, Something feels different when it's PodTrack is doing something on your behalf and saying, hey, I'm connecting you to Nike and Nike, hey, check out Albert's podcast. It gets a thousand plays an episode to then going to somebody or anybody and saying, hey, here's what Albert gets every episode. Here's what he how it's growing. Here's how it changed in the United States. And here's how it is in the rankings. Um, that feels different because now it's no longer for my benefit that I'm connecting to potential Nike sponsorship. Instead, I'm actually my data is being used possibly to my detriment. Now it's going to somebody who's going to launch a rival podcast and can look at it and go, oh, I see where he kind of changed the trajectory of his show. And that you know, I see the changes and how he started, you know, what he started modifying the show. I can copy that a bit. Um, and like this, it's not like this is insane data mining. It's the similar thing that you'd get on YouTube. So I can see which of your plays or which videos get the most plays, but it's, there's something about that. I didn't know it beforehand. And then I signed up and now maybe I signed up for pod track a year ago. And now a year of my data is kind of out there and it can feel a little bit like, I don't know, I'm just in the backyard, I'm doing something and I looked up and there's someone like peeking over the fence. It's not like I was doing anything bad in my backyard. I'm just like, hey, why is this guy like (laughs) looking over the fence? (laughs) Like now this feels weird. And he's been there apparently for like two, two minutes, like looking at me like, what are you doing? I think you touched on a key point there. It's like it it felt like the relationship was, hey, I'm going to give you access to my data, knowing that you can share that data with other people but you're doing it in the hopes of establishing a mutually beneficial relationship, a relationship that would help me as the podcaster and you as the middleman and the advertiser, right? Cause hopefully my advertisement that I do on my podcast ultimately helps them. Now what seems to be happening is, uh, the, the, maybe the rules of the game haven't changed, but they're a lot more obvious now. Um, and that is not only would you share my data for mutually beneficial relationships, but you also share my data just for the, the benefit of yourself. Right. Yeah. Then it's a trade. It's not a, it's not a a win-win. It's a trade of, Hey, we're giving you some stats that are probably, I mean, honestly, you're pretty similar to the same stats you're getting from your podcast host. And we're going to give you those stats in exchange that we get to sell these stats. And this is obviously the, the first time that they've kind of ventured into it. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, it's actually giving monthly average plays per for all these episodes. What's to say they don't expand it to everybody um, is included in these lists and any PodTrack customer, your raw data or the raw download data is now being right. They're selling 19 you know, top level categories in the top 30 podcasts in each of those. So while many of us are not going to fall into any of those categories, um, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they say, oh, you wanted all the data and all the podcasts. Oh, well, that's $10,000 a year. You know, they've started, they've declared their intent, right? We will sell data for our benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, data that's not really ours. Data that you may not have necessarily known what we're going to do with. Well, we're, we're telling you what we're going to do with it. We'll 
we'll sell it. We'll use it however we can. So that doesn't feel great. Um, but there's two reasons why people would use PodTrack. One is to connect with advertisers. Um, the other, re- and we just talked that through. The other reason is maybe just to have a third-party verification of your stats. So my host gives me stats, but if I also want somebody else to give me stats to measure my numbers against, um, people use it just for that purpose. And so I wanted, I was curious, I started this a couple months back, but I was curious how like PodTracks numbers stacked up against Buzzsprout numbers on an episode by episode basis. So I went ahead and added the PodTrack prefix to some of our podcasts, not any of our customers' podcasts, our own internal podcasts that we do, like Buzzcasts, like 5-Minute Mondays, like How to Start a Podcast. And I just ran the reports today to see how they were measuring um, downloads versus how Buzzsprout was reporting downloads. And the numbers were shockingly close. And I say shockingly <laughs> only because I'm and not because I'm not confident in Buzzsprout stats because I was not confident in spot in uh, PodTrack's ability to actually get an accurate <laughs> count. So I kind of predicted that the numbers would be off, but I thought our numbers would be a lot lower than PodTrack. <clears throat> and actually they're, they're closer than I thought. So PodTrack is doing a pretty good job of counting numbers. Um, overall, the, the one I had the most data on was five minute Mondays. And so for five minute Mondays over the last month, we were only 59 downloads apart. So of all the downloads, uh, five minute Mondays did over 5,000 downloads in the last month. And it, we were only 59 apart and Buzzsprout was 59 total downloads lower than what PodTrack accounted for, but that's only 1.15%. So they actually are counting pretty well. I know at Buzzsprout, we do a lot of work and I'm very confident in the numbers that we report. And I know that we're conservative. So I was glad to see that um, PodTrack was really close to ours. All that research and my my whole point there is that if you're using PodTrack just as a third party um, kind of verification service of your numbers, I really don't think that's necessary at all. I would go ahead and pull that prefix out. It's going to make your episodes load faster. It doesn't have to go through an additional redirect. And you don't expose yourself to PodTrack potentially selling your data for no benefit to you. Yes. And as a general disclaimer, whenever we talk about counting stats, uh, the more accurate the counting is, the lower your numbers (laughs) will be. Um, Because I know that becomes a frequent topic of conversation is, oh, well, SoundCloud is counting all these downloads that Buzzsprout isn't counting. It's like, yes, because those aren't real people. And we filter that stuff out. Um, So typically, the more accurate your stats become, the lower your numbers become because the software counting the stat is better at filtering out bot activity and automated requests and things like that that aren't actually downloads. So so that's what Kevin was alluding to was we weren't sure how well PodTrack was filtering right. out those kind of bots, but we were pleasantly surprised that it was about on par with right. how we do it. Yep. And we are aggressive. So... You you can rest assured. No <laughs> when bots. We say your podcast has X number of downloads. For sure, um, we don't usually. Uh, usually, we uh, we would not. What is it? A false positive? Is that what I'm trying to say? We don't have false positives. Yeah, for sure. We're not filtering out things that are people and imagining that they're a bot. It's almost you. You never get that activity. What you always get is the. Think of it as the Star Wars cantina from the first Star Wars movie. They, they come in and the guy says, we don't serve their kind to the robots. You know, that's <laughs> us. We don't let the robots in. All right. And there's no confusion. It's never like someone comes in, it's a person and you're like, oh, you're probably a yeah. robot. Get out of here. It's, it's always robots that are sneaking in and 
services are going, oh, this looks like this right. looks like kind of legit. Yeah. And then it's yeah, it's it's really a bot that's kind of disguised itself a little bit. People don't look like bots. Bots try to look like humans. So that's what makes it difficult. Yeah. Yep. So we don't count C3PO when he listens to your podcast, but real people we will. So one of the big things that we put a ton of work into the last couple of weeks has been Hindenburg. So Hindenburg is a podcast editing software. And we did a full, well, we, as in Travis, did a huge walkthrough <laughs> tutorial. I, I don't want to take any of the credit for that because I didn't do any of it. And then Lauren did a huge write-up um, as a blog post, like a review and walkthrough of Hindenburg. I'm probably not the best person to talk about it, except I think it was very good. So Travis, do you want to tell us about what you did and give us a little bit of, tell us a little bit about Hindenburg? Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate that. Uh that, that compliment there. I'm glad that you liked the video. Um, <laughs> that we worked on. <laughs> that we worked on. Yes. Wink, wink. Um, yeah. Well, so what's really cool is now that we've had our YouTube channel going steady for about a year now, it's crazy to think it was like a year ago we started putting out videos consistently. Um, we noticed that the Audacity software tutorial and the GarageBand software tutorial are disproportionately popular that it seems like people really like learning how to edit podcast episodes, um, which maybe not be, shouldn't have been surprising, but you know, we learned that. And so Hindenburg felt like the next, the next thing to kind of review, not necessarily as the most popular software currently, but as the software that we feel would benefit our podcasters the most to know about and to learn about. Yeah. We should have, we should have called it, you know, when TV guide used to do the best show that you're not watching. That's what I feel like we stumbled upon with Hindenburg. Yeah. It's just like the best audio editing software that you're not using. It's definitely not the most popular, but it is a great piece of software. Yeah. So I was able to uh, really dig into it, spend a lot of time digging into it, learning the ins and outs of it, um, trying trying to break it essentially to figure out like what are its limits. And I was I was very pleasantly surprised uh, with with the things that you can do in Hindenburg, but not just like the capabilities that it has but how user-friendly and how intuitive it is. So it definitely reminded me a lot of using an Apple product. I know we're all a bunch of Apple fanboys here, um, but there's a reason. It's Apple stuff just works. I just airdrop stuff from my phone to my computer and it works. I airplay stuff from my phone to my TV and it works. I drag stuff into Hindenburg and it automatically changes the volume level and normalizes it without me having to do anything. So like I'm already starting with all my audio tracks at the right level. Like stuff like that seems like a no-brainer looking back. It's like, why didn't anyone else think to do that? That seems well, really obvious. And the reason that some of that stuff won't be available in somewhere like a GarageBand or an Audacity is because, correct me if I'm wrong, but those are created for music editing. You know, a lot of these editors were all focused on music and then as journalists and uh, people who are doing stuff on the radio started needing editing. Um, they go, oh, yeah, 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 we also do that. We we edit audio. So the audio could be a song or it could be uh, your story they're going to do on the radio. And then when podcasting came along, they said, yeah, yeah, we've always been doing that. And they kind of added on some more stuff. So it's a little weird when I know when I opened up GarageBand the first time, it's like select your instrument. And I'm like, instrument uh, voice, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're, you know, you're trying to pick out an instrument feels a little goofy, but it's because it was made for music first. And Hindenburg is the other way where they started and said, they started out as a 
doing stuff for radio. And for them, it's a much more natural segue to go from radio editing to podcast editing, which are essentially the same rather than focusing on the audio. Right. And we keep saying Hindenburg. Hindenburg is the company and the product is called, there's two products that are worth exploring for podcasters. One is called Journalist and the other is Journalist Pro. And they've got a great comparison on their webpage that shows you the differences between those two products. But uh, Travis actually created the video around Journalist Pro, which is the version that we use and most podcasters would use. Um, There are a couple of features in there that most podcasters would take advantage of, but you can look at the feature comparison chart and say, Hey, I I actually don't need this, this, and this. So I'd be fine with journalist. And, uh, just to clarify around Travis's analogy earlier about using Mac software, Hindenburg and journalist journalist pro are both available on windows and Mac. So available for everybody. Yes. They do not discriminate based on your operating system, which is nice. I can't, I can't uh, tell you how many times somebody's asked me, can I download GarageBand for my Windows yeah. machine? And I have to say, no, I'm very sorry. You cannot. Um, but now I can say, don't even worry about it. Just use Hindenburg. Um, <laughs> no, so like I've, I've started editing my podcast exclusively on Hindenburg since I've really dig it, dug into it because my workflow has sped up compared to GarageBand. And in GarageBand, you kind of you have to hack your way around certain things. So like, for instance, doing the volume control, like fades and, um, you know, adjusting the volume between tracks and things like that was a very manual process of like, okay, let me pull up what they call the automation view and let me create some nodes and let me do these linear fades and let me, oh, I shifted the track. It didn't go with it. So now I have to redo the automation placement and change where those nodes are to make sure that it's still doing the fade in the right place. And it was just like a super manual process to try and do what should be very simple. And Hindenburg just makes that really easy. It's like, oh yeah, you just drag this over here and it brings all the fade settings that you made three hours ago with it. And so I've just found it to be a lot easier to use and also has some really robust features that I'm, I don't want to over-index it, but definitely coming to appreciate more than I thought that I would. Uh, probably the main one being the voice profiler. Like that thing is just money. And, what is the voice profiler? Uh, so voice profiler, it's uh, so there's a journalist version and a journalist pro version. So if you just get Hindenburg journalist, they have a generic EQ preset. Essentially, uh, your voice has different frequencies within it, right? Your high and low frequencies, high pitch, low pitch. And there are particular ways that you can tweak which frequencies are amplified or reduced to make your voice sound better. That's, I guess, the easiest, simplest way to put it. Um, And so if you have the journalist version, then they have a generic uh, default EQ setting that works for most people. With the journalist pro version, you can create custom voice profiles. So the reason you'd find that helpful is, let's say that you just sound amazing one day. You're in a professional recording studio. You happen to get some studio time or you're using a nice microphone. You're like, wow, my voice sounds incredible. I'm not, you know... I'm not coughing. I don't have a stuffy nose. The environment is incredible. I always want to sound as much like this as possible. You can have Hindenburg analyze that audio recording and create your own EQ profile based on that. Um, Then you can add some tweaks to it. You can uh, cut off the low ends and do a high pass filter. You can do some different things like that, some simple things. But then moving forward, every time you do a recording, you just automatically bring in that EQ setting. So it's like you set it up one time, and then forever and ever, you will always sound the same. 
So it's, it's just like a really nifty tool for kind of increasing your audio quality and the consistency through your podcast episodes without a bunch of extra legwork and having to have a master's degree in audio mastering. Yeah. One of the things I like the most in Hindenburg is they have this thing on the right side of the workspace and it's like different clipboards and clipboards are specific to the project that you're working in. So you can build a clipboard with different sounds or audio cues or something. Um, they also have something called favorites and favorites is specific to uh, whatever project that you're working on. And so since we're always editing podcasts, I, when I was editing Buzzcast for a couple of weeks at the beginning, I dragged our intro music, our outro music and our like segment cut music over into the favorites. So every time I would open a Hindenburg project to drag a new recording in, those favorites were always there. And then I would always just grab right out of the favorites tray and drag in intro music and then line up the first um, speaker that comes in. And then whenever you want to do a segment cut, my segment cut was sitting right over there for me in my favorites bar. And so favorites and clipboard are both okay. kind of the same way. It's just clipboards are specific to a project and favorites are specific to, are not specific to a project. They're, they're always available. But that is something that's, I always found annoying and missing in like Audacity and GarageBand that you couldn't have a tray of just the sounds that you use all the time. So anyway, glowing review, the Buzzsprout team and Buzzcast team do enjoy and love and recommend Hindenburg. It is a premium product, but Buzzsprout users can get a little bonus, right, Travis? Yes. And on the premium, so two things on the premium product side, it is absolutely more expensive than free, which is what Audacity and GarageBand are. But I would spend my own money on Hindenburg, right? Even if I didn't get this awesome deal that we have set up in Buzzsprout, knowing what I do now, I would absolutely plop down the cash to get Hindenburg because it's going to save me hours every month editing. And when you multiply that out, I mean, time is something that you can't really get back. And so if you are investing in your podcast, you have a nice microphone, this is a really worthy investment to really speed up your workflow and ultimately just make podcasting more enjoyable because you're not fighting your audio editing software to get it to do what you want. Um, but as far as the, the special perk that Buzzsprout customers get that Kevin was alluding to, on Hindenburg's website, you can get a 30-day free trial of Hindenburg Journalist Pro. If you go into your Buzzsprout dashboard and go to the resources tab, we have a 90-day free trial and a $50 coupon as well. So you can try it for three whole months before you decide if it's something you want to switch to permanently or not. And then if you do decide that, yeah, I want to keep using Hindenburg Journalist or Journalist Pro, you get that coupon as well. Yeah. And I think the $50 off might only apply to Journalist Pro. I'm not sure about that, but I think it does. Um, but I think the 90 day trial applies to either version. Yeah. And then one last thing on Hindenburg because I know, uh, Kevin, late last year, we did some work integrating with them to make it easier to push podcast episodes from Hindenburg into Buzzsprout. Maybe you want to touch on what that is and why it's helpful, because I've found it super helpful. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. So you get done editing your podcast in Journalist Pro, and they have a publish button at the top, and you can click on publish, and there's an integration with Buzzsprout. So you can flip into your Buzzsprout account and grab your API token and your podcast ID and put that into Journalist Pro one time. And then going forward, when you hit publish, you just check the podcast, your podcast that you want to publish to, and hit finish or done or upload or whatever the button says. And it pushes it straight into your Buzzsprout account. Uh, and it's a really nice integration. So it goes in very quickly and it goes in as a um, unpublished episode. So you don't have to worry about, you know, like I just published from Journalist Pro, but I actually don't want my podcast to go live for a few days or whatever. It'll just be sitting there waiting for you next time you log into Buzzsprout. So you log into Buzzsprout, there's an unpublished episode sitting there. You can tweak the title and the show notes and you can 
you know, run transcripts or chapter markers or whatever you want to do to get your podcast ready to go and then schedule your publish or publish it live immediately from there. Um, but it's so much faster than th- think about what you have to do in audacity or GarageBand. You have to, what, they, what does GarageBand call it? Bouncing, bouncing the episode out. You have to save it to your hard drive. Then you have to open a browser. Then you go to Buzzsprout. Then you upload it. Like all that is gone, which is this publish button in Hindenburg. As soon as you're done and you listen back and it's great, I hit publish, shoots it right into my Buzzsprout account. Well, and here's the other thing that's really great about it. When you set up the integration, you also tell Hindenburg, these are the settings I always want to export in, right? I always want it as a mono wave, set at this loudness, at this bit rate, whatever, whatever your export settings are. And then it's literally three clicks. You click the publish button, you click the check mark next to your podcast and you hit publish. And then yep. it sends it to Buzzsprout. Like it's, 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 it's magical. It's like magic. It's, fun. it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, I go super deep and like walking through that whole process in the tutorial on our YouTube channel. So I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. If you want to go and check that out. Um, there are also timestamps cause it's a, it's a full tutorial. It goes through the whole process of recording, editing, mixing and mastering, exporting the whole shebang. So if you just want to see that portion of it, you can just click the timestamp. Um, but yeah, I'll leave a link to the show notes if you want to go check that out and see if Hindenburg is something you might want to do. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week. Uh, we hope you learned something. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. And before we go, kind of wanted to do a quick shout out to three people who reviewed us in Podchaser for the first time. Uh, Julio Fernandez, thank you for the kind words. Uh, Fonda Clayton and Tim Small, S-M-A-L, Small. Um, we appreciate you guys leaving uh, reviews. They're all five stars. So that uh, makes us even happier. But uh, if you like to leave us a review, uh, we always appreciate those. And uh, if you have any feedback, we're always ready to uh, improve the show. Flawless well. exit, Alvin. Flawless. <laughs> flawless. All right. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Thank you all. This has got, I, th- I took this on a deep end. I feel like that did not add any clarity. It was like, hey, let me, let me talk about a movie from 1977. And like, and like this will elucidate the situation. Bro, yeah. you, you doing okay over there? Quarantined? You doing all right <laughs> yeah, with your social please. distancing? <laughs> yeah. My mind has f- finally hit a breaking point.